Join the adventure in Teneris from Dragory Games, creators of the award-winning Arena Miniatures Battle Game. Teneris is a high fantasy campaign setting for the world's greatest role-playing game. Join the fully funded campaign setting now on Kickstarter and join the thousands that have dared answer the call to battle. Dozens of industry professionals come together to give you a world with endless possibilities. Tanaris powers your Dungeons and Dragons games, including new species, four new classes, spells, magical items, archetypes for each of the original classes, and much, much more. So come, forge your team, and march into war. Find Teneris on Kickstarter now, and on all social media at Dragory Games, and at DragoryGames.com. Our sponsor today is Green Ronin Publishing. Green Ronin is a Seattle-based company dedicated to the art of great role-playing games. Since the year 2000, Green Ronin has established a reputation for quality and innovation that is second to none. If you're looking for exciting fantasy, look no further than Fantasy Age, where your heroic stunting can create the difference between a cinematic battle and a mundane encounter. Have a need to strap on a cape and fight the forces of evil? They do Mutants and Masterminds. Also available, The Expanse role-playing game based upon the hit book series. Green Ronin Publishing creates role-playing games, card games, and fiction for the very best in role-playing games and to forge your own path. Choose Green Ronin Publishing and become your own master. Find them at greenronin.com on all social media at Green Ronin Pub and wherever role-playing games are sold. And now, be sure to log in to GreenRoninStore.com. Using our affiliation code of GKHERO, you can save 5% off your total purchase of over 100 fantastic items, including role-playing games, card games, fiction, and much, much more. At GreenRoninStore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to start your journey today. Brought to you by the power of the internet and fueled by imagination, this is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The deeds of heroes await, and legends dare to be heard. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello, and welcome back once again to the Game Night Heroes. We are the Game Night Heroes, and you can be too. If you are new to joining us, thank you for showing up. We are a group of five friends playing tabletop role-playing games. The five of us are about to tell you a collaborative story. The outcome of that story is going to be determined by dice rolling and our role-playing. We are joining together today to complete our journey in Green Ronin Publishing's Freeport Trilogy. 
It's been a long and arduous journey, and we are pleased that you have decided to join us for the end of it. Now, don't be too freaked out. There are many more tales to come after this, but Freeport's fate hangs in the balance, and so do we. Before we tell you this tale, however, let's take a moment to reintroduce ourselves. Let's go ahead around the table, and if everybody could, say who you are and what you think. Hey everybody, I'm Rob, and I'm going to be playing Victor once again. Super excited, can't believe we're at the finale. Really hope that we actually win, you know. <laughs> Had a couple times where I'm at the finale in a lot of parties, and it becomes a TPK, so hopefully that doesn't happen tonight. And yeah. I'm Colleen, I am potentially for the last time playing Iridanza tonight. And I, too, am super excited to play the finale. All right. I'm Aaron. I'm also Arden. And if this is the first time you're coming in here, I highly recommend going back and starting at the beginning. There's just a lot of character development. You kind of need to start there. Oh, yeah. For Arden, at least. I don't really know about (laughs) some of the other characters. Yes. If you have not joined us from the beginning of this tale, please do. Please do. And I'm Brittany, and I'm playing Nisha, and hopefully Nisha makes it out of this tonight. We'll we'll see. She hasn't had much luck when she's run into the unspeakable one before. That's true. Perhaps none of you have. <laughs> I'm Kevin. I am the host, and I'm the dungeon master for this campaign, which means that I get to play as everyone and everything else. So, once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy... This finale to Freeport, the city of adventure. Previously on Game Night Heroes. From different walks of life and varied moral ideals, four strangers arrived in Freeport, the city of adventure. They soon found themselves embroiled in a mystery to save a missing librarian, safeguard a temple of knowledge under threat, and reveal the hidden existence of a long-thought extinct race of serpent people. Victor Reed, a half-elven bard in self-exile wielding a mystical hexblade, Iradanza Orame, an elven noble from a kingdom beneath the waves, Arden Langalar, a halfling chaos sorcerer, prophesized a chosen one, and Nisha Lakawania, an elven thief wielding the powers of the mind, battled enemies, madness, and their own inner turmoil to rise as heroes in a town on the verge of oblivion, as they collected three magical artifacts that may be able to stop the coming of madness. And now, as time sets on the western horizon, they race against the growing dark to stop the machinations of Sea Lord Milton Drack, who now fulfills a decades-long plan to enact a ritual that will bring his long-forgotten god, the Elder One, Hastur, the King of Serpents, into the world and spread the madness of his yellow sign. As they seek the pinnacle of Drack's lighthouse, the heroes hope that their actions will save the town of Freeport before darkness rises to swallow it and their sanity whole. 
our tale now concludes. After months of struggle, determination, and personal sacrifice, the four of you have made it to the top of the lighthouse of Milton Drac. Before you stands two doors, large and wooden, the symbol of the yellow sign carved deep within. There is an unmistakable yellow glow that eerily creeps from beneath the doors, spilling a dull, sickly light into the landing where you now stand. The four of you have made it. The next moments will either save or damn the city of Freeport, and perhaps the world. Who goes in through the door first? Not me. Iridanza. Confident with my crown. All right. Iridanza. You burst into the room. The room you find yourself within is square, 45 feet long on all sides. The ceiling is angled towards the center of the room and ends in a six-sided glass enclosure that sticks out four feet above the stone roof. There's a raised platform that supports a slender stone column upon which rests a crystal that shines yellow light through the glass and out into the night beyond. Milton Drack, his bodyguard, and a familiar teenage boy stand in front of the platform. And before any of you have time to speak, however, the tower shakes and the platform and the column begin to glow with a bright yellow light. The stone throbs with magical power as a beam of light shoots through the crystal and out into the night sky. It blinds you all for a moment, and in the intense heat and blaze of power, you hear the voice of Drac cut through the onslaught. As I said, you are too late. The yellow sign is now corrupting the minds of all those fools in the harbor below. Soon they will leave here and spread the glorious madness of the unspeakable one throughout the world. <laughs> now, we could turn our attentions to you, since I have been trying to kill you for several months now. An agonizing death seems more than appropriate. Which do you four prefer? Being flayed alive, or slowly bleeding to death as carrion pick at your bodies? <laughs> well, neither, I suppose. I guess we'll just have to kill you all now. I prefer to kill you. I prefer to not die. As his bodyguard begins to step forward and draw his longsword off of his side, you see the runes carved down the blade begin to glow with an eerie red light that match a glow within his eyes. The teenage boy on the back runs partially up the wall and lands on a small sconce halfway up the side, where he gives you all a wicked grin before his features melt away, revealing his serpent person form beneath. And with that, the four of you enter into battle to decide the fate of Freeport. Please roll initiative. I rolled a 20. 11. This is where all my rolls are going. 21. No. I got a 7. Okay. As you all spring into action, Arden, you know that your training, your background, has prepared you to be the chosen one necessary to save Freeport. You react faster than your companions. Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I cast fireball. I double cast fireball with the with my sorcery points. 
Ooh, child. Okay. Let's do it. Perfect. First fireball. DC 15, dexterity save. That's all three of them, right? Yep. Fireball. Arden, as you bring your hands forward and slap them together, fire erupts out of your hands and forms into a gigantic ball that flies through the air and slams into the back corner of the room, partially exploding the wall as it ripples and ricochets forth. The teenage boy, now his serpent person form, is the only one who manages to be partially out of the way as it explodes and engulfs the three enemies on the other side of the room. Go ahead and roll damage. They all failed except for him. Oh, it's 29 fire damage. Oh my. Wow. And he takes half, right? Yes. So 14. Okay. As the fireballs explode and ricochet and tear down the air between all of you, the dust begins to settle from the explosion as the roiling fire dances and flickers out. And you see Milton Drack get a wry grin on his face. And as he gets that wry grin, the second one explodes, taking the entire side of the room as a secondary engulf of flame. And once again, Milton Drack and his bodyguard fail, but the serpent person does not. What's the damage? 24 and then half 12. Arden, please roll two wild magic surge checks. Okay. So a 7 and a 20. Okay. The chaos energy continues to fly about you, Arden, filling your eyes with prismatic glow. Iridanza, what do you do? I am going to shoot the serpent across the room. That is a 25 to hit. Yes, it will. And he takes 7 points of damage. You ready another aim with your longbow, and you fire true down the sight at the serpent person, channeling all your fury and rage into this final shot to your enemy. And the arrow flies true, and as the serpent person begins to jump off of the sconce towards your direction, a dagger emerging in his hand from somewhere within his cloak, the longbow's shot takes him square in the chest, and he falls in a bloody dead heap upon the altar where the crystal is. As his dark black-green blood drips down the side, he rolls once, twice, a third time to the floor. It does not move again. Without hesitation, I turn my bow and I point it at Milton Drax and fire it at him. All right. With an 18 to hit. An 18 will hit. He's going to take 10 points of piercing damage. Okay. You take aim again, and the shot goes true once more. Your hunter's warrior instincts hone to perfection in this moment. As the arrow splits through the air and hits Milton Drack, there is a bit of blood that squirts out from the shot as you hit him in the abdomen, and he stumbles very briefly, and his grin does falter slightly before coming back to his face. Nisha. All right, I'm going to try to hit his bodyguard with my psychic blade. Okay. With a 27 to hit. It will. And that's 15 points of damage. And then I will attack him again with a 15 to hit. A 15 will miss, unfortunately. Nisha, you focus two psychic blades into each hand and cross them through the air with an X, cutting a figure eight as they jut forward. They move forward towards the bodyguard, and the one does manage to hit him in the chest, 
before he brings his heavy steel shield up to bear and deflects the other one harmlessly as it explodes into pink showers of sparks off to the side. He then closes the gap between you and him and attacks you with both of his attacks as he discards the shield off to the side. He attacks you with a 14 and a 22. The 22 hits. Okay. As he comes forward, he swings the longsword up over his head, bringing it down towards you. You manage to sidestep out of the way, but much quicker than you would anticipate a man of his size moving, he brings it up in a reverse stroke across you, and it slices up through your cheek, and you take seven points of slashing damage. I will take half with my uncanny dodge. Okay. Victor Reed. I'm going to use one of my new spells. Hypnotic Pattern. I'm going to center it back here so that it hits both of them. They will need to make a Wisdom Saving Throw. Of? A 16. Okay. The Bodyguard makes a save of 18. You notice that with the Hypnotic Pattern, which seems to be prismatic icy blue colors that dance across the back wall of the lighthouse, flicker about in a 30-foot cube, you see that the bodyguard manages to shut his eyes at just the right time, and it seems to not affect him as much as it could. Milton Drac looks directly at the light, and nothing seems to happen to him. Oh, that's no fun. And with that, Sea Lord Milton Drac looks at you all, and he puts his hand up into the air, and he begins to speak in a strange tongue that none of you understand. Except, for some reason, now you, Iridanza. Oh, great, powerful Hastur. Guide me your hand in this. Bathe these enemies in your dark realm. I need everyone in the party to please make a wisdom saving throw. Oh, goody. Nisha got a nine. Okay. I got a four. You know what? I would like to use my Tides of Chaos and give myself advantage on that roll. Okay. So I'll just roll another Wisdom Saving Throw. It's also a nine. Two nines. Oh, my. And I got an eight. Okay. And as he does this, out of the crystal emanating the bright yellow energy that's lancing out into the night and bathing Freeport's harbor in the unholy madness that is the King in Yellow, you all suddenly feel darkness grip at your minds, at your eyes, at your ears. And you are all currently blinded and deafened until the end of your next turn. As the unholy light of staring into the abyss, stares back at all of you. Oh, joy. You all cannot see, and you automatically fail any ability check that requires your sight. Arden, currently blinded and deafened, you could feel arcane magic coursing around the room. What do you do? I would like to cast Fireball, I guess. I'll just point it in the same direction I pointed it before. Okay. DC 15 Dexterity. Okay. Bodyguard gets a 16, and Milton Drac gets a 20. Not natural. All right. How much damage is that? It was 26, so they both pass 13. Okay. As you stumble about through the darkness, Arden, you gesture out with your hands, throwing another fireball in a last-ditch effort to try to eliminate these two enemies before they do any more further damage to you. 
As the fireball leaves your hand, please make a wild magic surge check. A six. Okay. Iridanza. The blindness and the deafness of the abyss swirls around your head, reeling your senses. Please make a constitution saving throw. That would be a 15 for constitution. You feel something unnatural about your forehead. A pain begins to pulse through your mind. You feel something wet and thick running down your forehead. You take four points of psychic damage and three points of piercing damage as the crown begins to squeeze and constrict on your head. Gross. What do you do? I'm going to use the motion that I would grab an arrow out of my quiver, knock it, and I'm just ready to release it the second I can see. So I guess I'm going to ready an attack. At the end of the round, you do get your vision and your hearing back, so you do see, through the haze of your returning senses, Milton Drack standing off to the side. That would be a 15 to hit. You fire in the arrow three inches away from his body. It just disintegrates in the air, bursting into yellow ash. Nisha, the abyss cloys about you, blinding you in darkness. You cannot see or hear. Please make a constitution saving throw at disadvantage. Oh, boy. This is what the note was for. Six. Nisha, you take 12 points of psychic damage. I'm down to 16 HP. Here we go. Okay. The gem begins to weigh down upon you, pulling you down towards the floor again. If you could, please make a constitution saving throw again. Oh, hey, 19! You do manage to fight against the weight being pulled down upon you and do retain your footing. And I was going to try to attack blindly. Okay. 15. You swipe out with your psychic blade in the area where you thought this bodyguard was before, and you do feel a clang off of his armor. Then I will try to hit him again with my other psychic blade. 15, so no hit. Okay. And you swipe forward with the secondary psychic blade, and he brings up his sword and deflects it out of the way. Your eyes begin to blur back into focus, and your hearing does return. And around you, there is a swirling mass of screams and yells, as now there is a vortex of swirling yellow faces, souls, it would seem that swirl about the crystal that Drac has placed on the pedestal and swirl up towards the top of the lighthouse. Their yellow light has filled the entire room, putting everyone's features into a golden haze. And with that, the bodyguard presses the attack against you, Nisha, with a 9 and a 23 to hit. Yeah, the 23 will do it. Okay, you're going to take 5 points of slashing damage as his longsword bites down into your arm. Victor. The abyss clings to you, like the heavy mantle of leadership and of the nobility that you left behind. You can't see through its darkening haze. What do you try to do in the darkness, in the silence? I'm going to cast Healing Word as a second level spell on myself. Okay. I heal 11 points. You feel part of your life force ebb out of the blade and back into yourself as you begin to heal yourself. The trinket does pulse. The one thing you can see through the darkness, a faint icy blue light. If you could, please make a constitution saving throw. 21. Okay. You feel something pull at you. 
as that energy comes in to heal your wounds, a secondary energy right behind it, biting at its heels like an animal, pulls at you again, and you feel yourself lose seven hit points as you take seven points of psychic damage. Really glad I did that healing now. Sea Lord Milton Drac gestures and magical energy from his divine connection to the Unspeakable One comes out of him, and magic forms into a spell. I need everyone in the party to please make a dexterity saving throw. Nisha got a 19. 13. 17. And I have a 21. Okay. Arden, you're the only one who reacts quick enough. Some sort of strange luck that you channel through your chaos magic drops you to the floor faster than the others. The other three of you take 24 points of damage, 13 of which is fire and 11 of which is radiant damage as a flame strike rips out through the corridor and slams into all three of you. Down below on the beaches beneath the lighthouse, those fighting against the serpent people and the city guards that try to stop what you all are doing fight with a vigor and with a purpose, knowing that you are about to save them all. It is, however, Riker Lloyd that drops first, as waves of yellow energy begin to come down off of the lighthouse and fill the beach. He and the Sea Lord's guard around him begin to drop to their knees, screaming and clutching at their heads as their ears begin to bleed, as their brains shift off into madness, their senses overloaded by the unholy symbol of the Unspeakable One as it rings out through the harbor. Nearby, all of the serpent people begin to emerge from the trees, numbering in the hundreds. They begin to close in around the Sea Lord's guard and the allies of our heroes. Katarina turns to watch as her companions fall around her. She begins to gesture and ready another spell. Back in the tower, Arden, what do you do? Now that I can see again, I am going to target the bodyguard with Tasha's Mind Whip. Okay. Chopin. Intelligence DC 15. Ooh, 15 exactly. Well, you, you know what? Uh, Ben Luck. So. Ooh, new ability. I have the ability to twist faith. When another creature you see makes an attack roll or ability check or saving throw, I can use my reaction, spend two sorcery points, roll a d4. I want to take that away from him. Awesome. Go ahead and roll just for curiosity. I rolled a three. All right. That does make him fail. As his mind is strong enough to fight back against the mind whip, your chaotic energies twist and warp the luck that controls him and controls everything as the chaos energies bend his will. And he does fail. So that is what? Eight points of psychic damage. Eight points of psychic damage. He staggers back as the mind whip slashes at him and hits into his forehead. As he does stagger back, Nisha, you get an attack of opportunity to attack him. Yes, I will take that. Okay. So, a 25. A 25 will definitely hit him. Nine psychic damage. And Nisha, barely standing, 
Weak on your feet, as the weight of the gem pulls you down, you manifest another psychic blade. And as you do so, it coalesces larger and more powerful, like it did when you first arrived in the base of the lighthouse below. And you launch it forward. It buries itself halfway up the blade in his chest, piercing through his armor, and he staggers back and falls to his knees. He tries to reach up to grab at the psychic blade as if to rip it free, but it doesn't have physical form. It's made out of psychic energy, and it dissipates as he claws at it feebly. He looks up at you with a look of horror, knowing that perhaps his time is about to come. Arden, is there anything else you'd like to do? Nope, I'm just going to sit there with a turnip-eating grin on my face. (laughs) Okay. Iridanza, you see in the swirling vortex of floating spirits, some of them are serpent people, some of them are Sadarin, some of them are human. They form and twist into a miasma of unseen power, and within them, a dark form begins to step forward. A figure that you can only see part of his partially concealed form. You would guess him to be nearly 12 feet tall. Long, spindly arms hold a large, massive glaive as he begins to step forward. You hear a familiar voice. Please make a wisdom saving throw. Oh boy. That would be a natural one. Okay. In Iridanza, the voice of the king in yellow, Hestor himself, fills you with fear. You drop to your knees and then onto your back, and you begin to scramble back away from him. You move your way back towards the stairs, trying to flee the area. Unfortunately, you lose your turn because you're going to not one. Nisha, you don't notice Iridanza moving her way backwards, or the figure in the skulls. Your focus is on the bodyguard. What do you do? I'm going to try to attack him again. If you could first, please roll a charisma saving throw. (laughs) Here we go! Nine. Nine. You begin to step forward, and you feel something take a hold of you. You feel your movements get sluggish, but you fight through them. You can pretty much only move or only attack. If you attack, it will be at disadvantage. Your strength is being sapped out of you. Well, then I will use my study aim to cancel out my disadvantage on that. So I'm just normal. Got it. I will just attack him. Uh, So 20 to hit. A 20 will hit. Six damage. Anisha, you fight through that feeling. You feel your psychic energy course through you, down into your hand where another psychic blade manifests. And you bring it forward, and you feel it, almost as if through another person's body, release from your hand. It moves forward through the air, almost as if in slow motion, cutting through some sort of unseen force. It slams into the chest of the bodyguard. And he falls back to the floor at the top of the lighthouse, no longer moving. Victor Reed. Okay. So so Milton Drac is still 
He is gesturing. He is speaking in this strange language. Over and over again. So torn at what to do. Um, I'm going to try to cast Shatter to maybe interrupt his ritual speaking. He has to make a DC 16 constitution save. Okay. You ring out with the blade and you strike it across the wall of the lighthouse and there is a ringing sensation that pops as it ripples across the edges of the lighthouse walls circling around the perimeter to get to his side of the room, popping and snapping bricks in the process. There is a large, deafening bang that fills the air around him, and you see that all he does is flinch slightly as he makes the save with a 20. He does take, you said, half of that damage? Yeah, he takes four. And Cool. Do I need to make any saves? You do. You need to make a charisma saving throw, please. I just figured that was the theme. Are you serious? A nine, natural one. And Victor, you feel that energy come out of you, come out through the Captain's Cutlass, your new hex blade. And in the process of that happening, you feel yourself drifting away from the room. That darkness that Drac shrouded you all in a moment ago begins to well up around your senses and pull you away from the others, much like it did when you were in the caves beneath Tawick. Darkness claws up around you, and you find yourself temporarily displaced, no longer here, as the lighthouse fades away. And in the top of the lighthouse, Milton Drag gestures with his hands, bringing down the unholy power of Hestur, as water begins to pour out of the swirling mass of skulls and spirits that float around the middle of the chamber, spraying out directly in front of it towards all of you. I need everyone in the party to please make a dexterity saving throw with Victor and Iridanza, please doing it with a disadvantage. Huh. Misha got a natural 20 for 28. Awesome. About time. 23 with disadvantage. Okay. 22 with disadvantage. I got a 12. Okay. As the water, a tidal wave of power washes out of the swirling mass, Everyone gets buffeted with its power, and Arden, you take 14 points of bludgeoning damage and are knocked prone to the floor. Nisha, Iridanza, Victor, you all three take 7 points of bludgeoning damage as the water slams into you. Alright, I have 6 HP left. I have 3. Things are getting dire indeed. And Arden, prone on the ground, you look up and see what is happening. You can tell that this is very dire, and you're not sure what exactly it is that you all can do. There was a brief moment, very brief, where you contemplate leaving this behind and not being a part of this. You feel like you might have made a mistake. Perhaps you're not the chosen one. You know, sometimes when I get down like this, and I stop believing in myself, I just had to remember that I believe... And my friends, and my friends believe in me too. And that gives me the strength to defeat this baddie. I look around the room, and do I notice anything about the power that's in here? If you could, Arden, make an Arcana check, please. Arcana. I can actually kind of do that. With a 22. Arden, 
You can definitely tell that the source of the power throughout the room, the source of the light that emanates out and is shining out into the harbor, pulling at the energy of the sigil of the Brotherhood of the Unspeakable One, carved into all the bricks in the room and along the floor, is that large crystal staying on top of the pedestal. You know that if you were to remove it or destroy it, it would stop what's going on. You also know that to destroy it would more than likely release a magical arcane torrent so powerful it would level the entire lighthouse and kill anyone within. Huh. Oh boy. You look up and you can see in the swirling faces a figure is starting to materialize. One long, spiny, taloned hand beginning to stretch out of the faces and pull forward into the material plane, about to be summoned completely. Milton Drax screams, Yes! Hestor, come! I have paved the way for you and your glory! He begins to laugh, a laughter that fills the entire lighthouse with madness of a non-arcane nature. What do you do? I think I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. I think I need all three of the artifacts. So can I hold my action, and then since the three of them are up next in initiative, potentially do that? Uh, yeah, I would say you'd have to call out to them and tell them your intention to coordinate that. Yeah. yeah. Quickly, I need the artifacts. We don't have time. Iridanza. Iridanza, the fear of Hestor still fills you. If you could, please make a wisdom saving throw. I got a 10. Oh my goodness. You hear Arden's words, but you're not able to react well enough. The fear is just too great. You press yourself up against the wall, cowering. You can still take your turn, however. You just can't do anything like attack because you're too afraid of Hester to do anything against him. But you can like react and move and maybe do something different. I pull the artifact crown off my head and hand it to Arden. As you take the crown and you rip it free of your head, you take five points of slashing damage. As you feel the skin of your forehead and some of your hair rip away with it. Oh, ooh, sorry about that. It's for a good cause, I promise. And Arden, she hands it out towards you. Nisha, you hear Arden's words, and no such fear fills you in this moment. Except for perhaps the fear of what might happen if you all fail. You can now see Hestur, the king in yellow, up to his shoulder, begin to pull himself out of the swirling mass of skulls. What do you do? I am going to take the gem off my neck again and give it back to Arden. Okay. If I can, I'll try to attack Hester. Okay. I'll see if you can get one attack off. Uh, natural 20 for 28. See, this is why you had all those bad rolls before. It's just for this moment. If only. So, 11 points of damage. You rip the gem free and you hand it out towards Arden as a psychic blade manifests in your other hand and you launch it towards the figure half emerging from the skulls. It seems to connect with him, but it does not slow his momentum. You see that there is a bright purple light that flashes across the skulls, turning some of them into faces that are a little bit more benign. Victor, make a wisdom saving throw. 
I got an 18. Victor, you feel your senses hone back into focus, and you find yourself in the chamber once more. You lock eyes with Sea Lord Milton Drack, and he looks at you and he says, You're out of your element here, boy. I rule this city. And fools like you will fall to my power. What do you do? I may be out of my element, but Arden's element is chaos. I hand him the sword. Arden, on your turn, you reach forward to take the three artifacts into your hand. Your hand closes around the leather strap that holds the crystal. Please make a wild magic surge check. Oh boy. Oh, that's a 12. And you take it into hand as chaotic energy begins to pulse around it and swirl around your hand. You look to Iridanza, and you take the crown from her outstretched hands. If you could, please make a wild magic surge check. Oh, oh, that's a four. We're getting closer. Finally, you turn to Victor, holding out Scarbelly's sword towards you. You reach for it. If you could, please make a wild magic surge check. Oh, 11. Wrong direction. You take the three of them into hand, and you heft them together. And they all three begin to glow their respective colors. A bright, vibrant, orangey-yellow. A deep and powerful green jade. And an icy blue that shimmers across your eyes, illuminating them for a moment. Please make one more... Wild magic surge check. Oh, that one's a nine. All right. Sea Lord Milton Drack from across the room. This changes nothing, you fools. With that, he begins to gesture with his hands to cast a spell. And you watch as energies swirl about him and some of his wounds seal shut. As he regains nine hit points. I have been too thorough. There is nothing you can do now to stop Hastur's rising. His madness will be glorious. And you will be dead. Down on the beach below, Katarina continues to battle serpent people as they come in in droves to attack her using the best of her arcane spells, her illusionary magics, to keep them at bay or to send them off in different directions, confused as to where she might actually be located. And as that yellow energy, skulls, it would seem, that flicker about the beach, begin to spread out towards the harbor, out towards Freeport. She watches as the people in the boats, watching the lighthouse, dumbstruck, all begin to fall to their knees, clutching at their heads, as madness takes them as well. She looks once more as a serpent person comes up behind her and grabs her and rips her off of her feet, holds her in a position to where she can watch as her city, the city of her birth, falls. The yellow energy pulses down around the harbor and into the docks, spreading out through Freeport. And in that moment, Katarina's sanity finally snaps, and she slips off to the madness as well. Arden, with the three artifacts, what do you choose to do? 
I'm going to walk over to the crystal or, you know, kind of hobbit run, hobble, jaunt. Okay. And with the mighty captain's blade, I'm going to swing it at the crystal. With each step that you take, you feel your body get heavier, slower. You can feel cuts and burns begin to scrape across your face, your arms, your chest, your legs. Pieces of you feel like they're drifting away. Parts of your sanity, parts of your body feel like they're not quite yours any longer. You can feel your body giving away under the immense power of these three artifacts combined into one. Your skin begins to split and crack as dark fissures of arcane power form around the edges of your body. And you get up to where the crystal is on the platform. Hestor, his head beginning to poke out through the swirling skulls, looks down upon you. And it is a face that is not for the faint of heart. But luckily, you are very brave. If you could, please make a wisdom saving throw at advantage. Pa, 14. 14 is just enough. And as you step forward onto the pedestal towards the dais where the gem is continuing to glow, Milton Drax's laughter continues to fill the chamber. It's not a laughter that is calculated. It is a laughter of one who has been given off to the madness as well. You see, as he has fallen to his knees, and is clutching at his eyes, gouging them out, tearing long strips of flesh off of his cheeks, ripping his hair out, tearing at his clothing, as he laughs maniacally into the chamber, beyond all sense of reason and sanity. Arden, if you could, please make a wild magic surge check. An 11. Okay. And the energy continues to pulsate around you. You know in this brief last moment, it's all up to you. What do you do? Um, you know what? We'll be fitting. I'll do a chaos bolt at it. Okay. To destroy it. Okay. <laughs> 27, natural 20. Okay. Go and roll that damage. All right. 16 plus 18. 34. Whew. All right. You form a chaos bolt into your hand, and it channels down through the sword as the icy blue energy pulsates across it. Victor, you feel the magic somehow come out of you, channel through the blade, through Arden, and goes through. As he slips the crown onto his head, Iridanza, you see briefly for a moment through his eyes as part of your soul, of your strength, channels through your small friend. And Nisha, as he clutches the small gem in his hand, vengeance has brought you this far, but it is with generosity that you give part of yourself to Arden in this moment, so that he can use the power of the three of you, as well as himself, to strike out at the crystal with the chaos bolt. And the crystal shatters and explodes Pieces of small gem go flying off into the corridor as the skulls and the ghost-like forms begin to swirl uncontrollably in through the lighthouse and swirl out into the night. The glass above all of you shatters and falls down in around you. Hestor, 
screams as the rift in the air amongst all of these skulls begins to seal up around him. Arden, you watch in growing horror as his form dissipates and shrinks and is sucked down into the artifacts, seemingly disappearing. Milton Drac, now lying on his back in a pool of his own blood, tears streaming down his useless eyes. He looks up. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. He says to himself over and over again, completely unaware of what's going on around him. And as his eyes roll back into his head, and his madness takes full effect, Milton Drack gazes upon what he wrought with unseeing eyes. The destruction of all that he held dear. Himself. He continues the phrase incessantly, over and over and over, until eventually his life gives out. And the Sea Lord of Freeport perishes atop his lighthouse. The energy remaining in the top of the lighthouse surges down through the artifacts, and Arden, you float up into the air. The energy begins to split and crack at your skin. You all can see arcane energy lancing out of it, as if he is a beacon of light himself. And in that moment, you all see a third eye snap open on his forehead as he floats up off of the ground. Red swirling smoke drifts about his form, drifting him higher and higher as he reaches the pinnacle of the lighthouse, busting through the last remnants of the glass ceiling and into the area above. He continues to float. You see him slowly grow in size, his features splitting and becoming more serpent-like for a brief moment as the magic courses through him. Arden, you feel energy wave out of you. Creatures around you, if they were near you, would be buffeted by the strange arcane tendrils that emerge from the air, swiping and swirling as your form grows and shines out over the harbor. And in that moment, you feel yourself fall away from the mortal coil. As Arden, you begin to die. But, much like they did on a night where you fought to save the Temple of Knowledge, on this night when you fight to save all of Freeport, those magics continue to restore you, moment after moment after moment, as the energies eat you up and rebirth you over and over again. This bright, yellow, harmful light goes away, revealing a red, warm glow that shines out over all of Freeport. You see, all of you, that the glow eventually dims away, winking out and fading away from all of your eyes. And then in that moment, Freeport, perhaps for the first time, is utterly silent. The pall of the silence reigns supreme in the absence of the ruler of Freeport. But it's then that you all hear a sound. A low sound at first, 
growing in its intensity. It's cheering, the three of you realize, before Arden does. It begins small, a single voice that rings out through the night. Katarina's. Before it is joined by another. And another still. Then the crowd in its entirety erupts into uproarious cheers. It fills the harbor, the city beyond, and the island of Tewik itself, drowning out the silence caused by Drax's fall. The throngs of the ships below, and the people jammed into the city's streets, have no idea how close they all came to an unending madness. They don't know exactly what they've just seen, but they know it was one hell of a show. Milton Drack, for all of his evil intent, it would seem, did give the people of Freeport something for the history books. It would seem your victory is finally complete. Arden, the energy eventually washes down out of you as you lower back down into the lighthouse amongst your friends. Victor, Nisha, Iridanza. The three of you come up upon Arden, his mangled and broken form lying on the broken pedestal at the top of the lighthouse of Drek. You all three look upon him. He looks up at you weakly, the burns, cuts, and scrapes across his form make him look battered. But the strength of his smile is strong still. What do you guys want to say and do? I look up at them. One last time. I... I I don't want to go. And as Arden breathes his last breath and slips away, you all look down at him, your small friend, a giant amongst you. I hit the floor on my knees and start bawling my eyes out. I kneel down next to him and I close his eyes and just bow my head in silence to put a hand on his shoulder. I pull a single turnip out of my pocket that I was saving for Arden for after we won. And I set it on his chest and put his hands on it. And then I put my arms around Nisha and Iridanza and mourn in silence with them. Okay. As the three of you sit there, interlocked and leaning over your fallen friend, the cheers outside in the harbor and in the city continue, the people unaware of what sacrifice it was that saved them all. Several days later, at the Temple of Knowledge, Three of our heroes joined once again around their small friend. Ardalangalar has fallen so that the people of Freeport can continue to live their lives the way that they choose. And in this time, he falls as a hero, but as one that perhaps is not sung about in history books to the people of Freeport. But he surely will live on in the hearts of those who have heard his tale and to his friends that helped him write it. The three of you are in the back preparation room of the Temple of Knowledge with your small friend. 
You all have had time to rest and have your wounds and your injuries be healed by time and by the magics of the brothers. But your emotional wounds will take their own time to heal. The three of you sit in silence and think about your small friend with his large lust for life that continues to shine on, even in his absence. Tenderly and with the calm and the poise that is typically reserved for him, Brother Egil enters from the doorway, seeing the three of you look over your small friend. And behind him, a man who you once all came together initially to join to save from the machinations of the Brotherhood, Lucius. He is standing a bit taller now, it would seem, his dark, lank hair a bit more groomed, his features less sallow. He looks like he is hardier and definitely more rested. The young man walks with a different pep in his step that he did not have before. Whatever monsters that weighed him down and resided within his mind seem to finally be gone. Egil looks to the three of you. He was a hero, that is to be sure. I can honestly say that in the time that I have known the four of you, that he was definitely a bright presence. And although the people of Freeport might not fully know what he did, we are forever in his debt here at the temple. He will have a special place amongst those who have fallen and those who are buried here. I... And he looks down for a moment as if he's kind of embarrassed to say this. I only recently discovered that he had no family. It would seem that his parents dropped him off at a different temple, a monastery of sorts, to a different god on the mainland in the continent, and that was where he was raised. And so there's not really a place to send him back. I would be more than honored if you would allow us to lay him to rest here at the temple, amongst other heroes and other brothers that have also been endured here. I think that would be perfect. Agreed. I think that's a very nice gesture. I agree as well. I think that that would be very kind of you. Egil gives you all a warm yet sad smile. And Lucius steps out from behind him. He's been quietly watching the four of you interact at this time. And he crosses to the three of you. I have to say that I'm honored as well to have known that my life was touched by his goodwill and by his heroism. I believe that the four of you are good people. I, um, I know that my troubles that I had before you all arrived in Freeport weren't exactly your troubles to undertake, but you did. And I'm back to who I was before. I remember my time away now, and of the information that I learned about the unspeakable one, about the dark presences of the far realm, and I will use that knowledge to help Egil and the other brothers here know that there is more that we can do. We will make sure that we will do whatever we can to make sure that the sacrifice that the four of you have made, and he glances down at the small box. That holds Arden. 
I will know that your deeds are put to good use. <laughs> Thank you, friends, for making the voices stop. <laughs> Thank you. And he steps back out of the way to Egil's side, where he then laces his fingers between Egil's, holding his hand for support. Egil looks to the three of you. I believe that there is plenty of other things that you probably have <laughs> to do. I'm not sure what the three of you have planned for your future endeavors, but you are always welcome at the Temple of Knowledge at any time. If you ever need sanctuary or comfort, you are always welcome to come here. It would seem that with Theron gone and Castallo no longer posing as him, that the brothers have decided to find a new head priest here. And he gets a boyish grin on his face. And you can tell from Lucius's reaction behind him, his bright, smiling face, as pride fills it, that Egil has been named the new head of the Temple of Knowledge. It would seem that the heroism that he showed during the time of the attack of the Brotherhood, as well as making sure that his brothers were properly safeguarded when the beacon from Drax Lighthouse went off, that his star is on the rise. I am going to give him a big hug. Thank you, Egil and Lucius, for helping us. I don't think we could have done everything we've done without the help from the two of you. Egil returns your hug and then pulls away. You can see that he's touched by your sentiment, but he smiles at you. It's a smile of a man who definitely is grown since the time you guys have known him. He definitely seems to be a leader now, as opposed to the quiet and somewhat scared young man that you all met. After several moments of taking the time to visit with Egil, he understands that the moment for the four of you to converse is over. He gives you all one more reassuring nod before he and Lucius, hand in hand, walk out of the door. The three of you look over your small companion once again. And there is another sound that you hear. Small feet shuffling across the stone floor of the temple. And without turning, you know who it is. Well, 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 Katerina Kankleberry says as she enters the room. I must say that I am rather pleased and rather proud that this all turned out the way that it did. You can see that she is not looking at the coffin. Rather pointedly, in fact. Nisha, you can tell that this is not because she doesn't care that Arden is in it, but rather that she doesn't have the strength to look at the fact that he's in it. She is hiding the fact that she's hurt right now. Something that's probably new for her, you would guess. She looks up at the three of you. When I met him all those years ago, I was not entirely aware of how far he would go. I believe I have misjudged him. I'm glad I was wrong for once. He did leave this, she says, as she pulls a small rolled-up parchment from within her robes. Very finely rolled paper, a nice quality. You recognize it as one of the sheaves of paper that would have been in Lucius's apartment all those times ago. And it is sealed with some wax a reddish-pink in color, and stamped into it, 
you see as Katarina holds it up is the imprint of a seal that is shaped like a turnip. <laughs> she says, I dare not open it, for it was left for the three of you. And she hands it to you, Iridanza, because you are the closest one standing to her. I nod my head at her. Same. Without any other words, and without turning to look at the casket again, she turns and begins to leave the room. Nisha tells her that, Katerina, you may have been hard on Arden, but he did care for you and love you as a mother. I thought you should know that. She stops and she turns to face you again. And you can see for that brief moment that there is sadness in her features. Then every time I look upon this city, I will think of him. And his annoying jokes. <laughs> and she turns and she leaves the room. Leaving the four of you alone, once again. So, Iridanzo, what do you do with the paper? I turn it over in my hands a couple times. Looking at it. Thinking about it. Unsure of what to do. Then after a moment, I break the seal and open it up. All right. When you open the seal and you unroll the letter, you see that it is a piece of paper that is written in a short yet somewhat messy hand. Very small writing. You find that it is a letter that is addressed to the three of you. And you begin to read. To my dearest friends. I write this message as we travel on the ship. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of it, but I want you all to know that just in case we don't make it out of here, somebody hopefully will be able to pass on this message. And if all of you pass and I survive, well, I'll, I'll take all of your letters as well, too. I'm sure you've all written them already. To my dearest Iridanza, I want to give you this pretty stone I found. I found it at the docks the first day we met, and it reminded me of you. I hope you take it and cherish it forever. To Nietzsche, I know you've recently lost all of your family, so I wanted to give you the gift of my family Katerina, I want you to take her as your surrogate mother to replace the parents that you've lost recently. You know, because you lost your, your other surrogate father. So that's rough. To Castello, I give you this staff that I have. I think I think it's yours in the first place, so I'm, I'm giving it back maybe. But here, here it is. Make, make sure you use it wisely. And to you, Victor, I give you all my gold. Should be about 1300 to buy a new ship. Okay. And you see that the letter is signed? Yeah, it's got my name on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nisha has tears streaming down her face. 
Iridanza, as you unroll the rest of the letter, you do find that there is a small stone, a round circular stone, about two inches in diameter, very smooth and polished, a dark blue deep stone that would be found from within the ocean. It does seem to have a slight twinkle to it. It doesn't seem to be having any sort of magical capabilities, but it is magical nonetheless. Well, Iridanza can't really say anything without bursting into tears, so she is staying silent, trying to stifle back those sniffles. Okay. I'm going to name my first ship the Langlalore. It's for you, buddy. I promise I'll check in on Katarina every once in a while, just to make sure she's okay. So the three of you come together to once again think about your fallen friend and think about the future. Sometime later, the three of you do exit the room and exit out the front entryway of the Temple of Knowledge. After crossing across the mosaic tiled floor, you look back to the light of learning as it shines from the large beacon between the two giant statues of Biblius, the god of knowledge. As you step outside, there is an individual not unknown to you standing there. Castallo stands, and he looks a bit tired. In the two days since your ordeal with saving Freeport and destroying Milton Drack and his plans, Castallo seems to have aged supernaturally beyond the reason and span of just two days. He now walks with a pronounced limp, and his back is hunched. He informed you, when you started to notice this change about him, that serpent people typically only live to be 800 to 850 years, and he is nearly 2010. A strange side effect, he guesses, due to the fact that he was bonded to Yig, the god of the serpent folk. And now that that bond has been severed, his body is catching up. As he sees you approach, Victor, you hand him Arden's staff, which is perfect size to be a walking stick for the elderly serpent person. Ah, yes, well, thank you very kindly, friend. It would seem that our companion is always full of kind surprises. <laughs> well... I believe this is a goodbye of sorts. I would assume that folks such as yourselves have nothing but more adventures to go upon. I will find my place here within the city in whatever way that I can. I know that for the time being, what we have faced against the Unspeakable One and his cult is over. But a being such as the unspeakable one, could not be so easily dispatched. His followers have been quelled, it is true, and his power wanes and has been suppressed, but evil that strong lives on. And I would be sure that if it does return, Freeport will not go unwarned again. Thank you, Lady Iridanza, he says, for taking me to the end of the path that I was destined to be upon all those years ago. When I survived the fall of my city, 
It was so that I may aid you in saving yours. Now I will take my leave of you, friends. He gives you all a curt nod. I return the nod. Thank you for all your help, Castallo. I hope that you live out the rest of your days in peace. He gives you a warm smile. And he turns and he walks off. And as he does so, he passes by another figure waiting to speak with you. The tall, thin, very exotic-looking Falthar has his features very calm and very collected, as they typically are. Standing at his side a few paces away is Nell, and she looks a bit more emotional than he might be. And she runs up to give all of you a hug, lingering the most on you, Victor. I knew you all could do it. I knew that it was just a matter of time. You did good. You did good, she says. She looks at you, Victor, when she says the last. It's just so sad that not all of us could have made it. Falthar steps forward. Indeed it is. Such is the way of being an adventurer, though. As I've only briefly told you before, I... Myself once came to these lands seeking adventure and fame. And some of my friends paid the price for that arrogance. Luckily, Arden was not one to have fallen to nefarious purposes such as that. Oh no. He is one who gave his way so that glory can be achieved. Tell me, Victor. Now that you have saved the city, what will you do now? He looks away for a moment and scans the crowd before turning back to you, and he says, I could always use a good man to stock my shelves, and to tell me a good tale. As much as I would love to do that, Falthar, I think my purpose is much higher than stocking shelves in this world. I have a few... Loose ends I need to tie up back at home. Maybe I'll be back, and potentially, maybe I'll become the new Sea Lord. It is not out of the realm of question now. The Captain's Council will more than surely be in turmoil for at least a few weeks, if not months. They not only must fill several seats, but they must also choose a new Sea Lord. Drac had no heirs, and the line of succession has been tied to his family for years. With the Drac claim gone, someone, anyone, perhaps, could attempt to claim the seat now. The machinations are sure to be heated. <laughs> he gets a wry grin on his face. I suspect a great succession crisis will be inevitable at this point. But I'm a simple shopkeep. What do I know? All I know is I don't want what happened with Milton Drac to ever happen again the city or the world if that means I need to take a seat either on the council or as a sea lord then so be it well the only place that you can do that is here but if you have things that you need to see to far from Freeport shore I believe that you will find your way back if you need to Freeport's not exactly going anywhere now what about the rest of you? 
I need to go take care of some things of Passalor's since he has passed away. Of course. And what of you, lady from the sea? I suppose that you will be returning to your people with those artifacts in tow? Yes. I've been away for longer than I ever have been. It's time for me to return, go back beneath the waves, and rejoin my people. He gives you a nod, then he says, Be sure that when you slip beneath the waves this time, that it is not as long as it was before your people returned to the surface. I nod my head at him. Now, if you all will excuse me, I have an elderly serpent man to beat at a game of chess. Fare thee well, he says, and he turns and he walks off to catch up rather easily with Castallo. Nell stands next to you for a moment, Victor, and she gives you a warm, friendly smile. I'll just return her smile with a smile. Wise man. She looks at you and she says, I think I'm going to write a song about this. The Song of the Hexblade. It's got a good ring to it, I think. I would very much like to hear it. You will, she says with a wink. When you come back, I'll have it ready. She leans up slightly and gives you a slight peck on your cheek before she turns to the ladies, gives them both a curtsy, and she skips off to catch up with Faltar and Castallo. The three of you watch the three of them leave off into the crowd of Freeport, and the time is yours to decide to do what you want to do. I have to go take care of Passler's things and all that. I believe my time on the surface is coming to an end. Everything I needed to complete is now done. For me, it seems I must go back and stop running from my past, and I need to tend to my ill father if he passes in the time. I can only imagine the fallout that will become of the kingdom I am from. What did your father do? My father is the king. So you're a prince. Yes. Explains a lot. I didn't much care for the royal life. Wanted to adventure. So I took on an alias and came here. Faked my death. Apparently not well enough because my family somehow figured it out. I assume I didn't pay somebody enough money. It's always the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but now it seems that my father is ill and I should probably go and fix things there. And then I... She'll be back to Freeport. Because there's just something about this city that I love. The rest of the day passes, and the sun rises, arcs across the sky, and sets over Freeport City. Later that night, when the sun fully sets, a fuchsia-haired woman of considerable elegance and a very wolfish look about her makes her way back to the dead pelican. When she enters within, instead of giving her the typical off-putting and dangerous look that they typically give her, 
she finds the entire bar in unison stand and turn to face her. The men and the women within the room all turn and put out their left hands, all tattooed, a thin triangle bisected by three lines. And out of their ranks, Amos steps forward. It's good to have you here. Everything's been made ready. Passalor was very specific when you all went to go face off against Gavin that if he did not return, that you would. Everything's been made ready for your leadership now, Nightwolf. Thank you. I will be in my office then. And she'll walk back to what used to be Passler's office. The night wolf stalks across the floor, and all the other wolves in the room nod or sit, respecting her dominance. Nisha, you move into the back office. You turn back one last time to see the room, everyone staring at you. And with that last glance back, the room goes back to normal. The front of the Trifold Thieves Guild, once again secure. Their new leader is here. The next morning, Victor, you see to the crew as they finish off the preparations of your ship. They batten down the last of the hatches and they load the last of the cargo as you look over upon them. It would seem that the former Captain Scarbelly is making a great bosun, making sure that everything is where it needs to be. Wherever his loud, boisterous voice does not seem to be necessary, his intimidating glance definitely is. The men fall in line around him and around you. As you make your way to the base of the plank that leads up onto the ship, your friends, Nisha and Iridanza, come up as well. What do you guys wish to say and do with one another? Nisha will walk up to Victor and give him a hug. And It's definitely been an adventure taking on Freeport with you. When you come back to town, let me know. We'll have dinner and see if we can plan our next adventure together. What do you think? Sounds great. I most certainly will. Just, uh, you know, keep Freeport in one piece for me while I'm gone. <laughs> As you two step away from one another, Nisha, you absentmindedly brush a piece of your hair back away from your ear, and you see that she has a bandage around her left hand. But you know not to question it. Iridanza, you step in between them to fill the gap. Farewell, my friends. It's been a pleasure. I don't know when I'll see you again, or when I'll return to the surface, but when I do, I hope to see both of you, and I hope under much better circumstances. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye, Yordanza. I wish you well. If you do return, look me up. Always. I wish you both well. Remember, there's always a place for the two of you in my crew. And always a place on the Langalore. Scarbelly! Anchors away! The large half-orc walks over to the gangplank, 
Right away, Captain, he says. And he turns and begins screaming orders at the crew, getting them in line once again. The two of you watch as Iridanza walks over to a nearby dock and walks to the edge of it where there is a ladder. She makes her way down into the sea. The velvet pouch at her side containing the two mystical artifacts that she claimed during her journey here to Freeport. One that she was sent for, and another that a man tried to trick her into stealing for other purposes. And a shiny blue stone. Without any sort of last deep breath before she leaves the surface world behind, the Iridanza of House Orame lowers herself beneath the waves. It is gone. I'm going to walk up on my ship. Mm-hmm. And as the sails are unfurling, or the Jolly Roger goes out, there's been a slight change. Mm-hmm. There now features a turnip <laughs> within the anchor. Excellent. And Victor, you sail off. And our view rushes out away from the city, away from the folks within, from all walks of life that mingle and continue their day. We see men, women, and children of all ages, all creeds, busied with the jobs of selling and hawking wares, of cleaning and tidying their homes and livelihoods, of simply living another day. The city of Freeport is once again a safe haven for sailors and longshoremen, a home pulled from the madness of a time ruled by its cruel sea lord. We pull away from the harbor, a sprawling mass of wharfs, roads, and buildings that stretches nearly one mile, and into the vast ocean, rapidly making our way from the small chain of islands known as the Serpent's Teeth, memories of a former time. We once again observe the single structure upon the smallest of these four isles, a nearly ruined lighthouse, recoiling from the morning sun. Within the beaming sunlight of the day's sky, shining like a beacon of hope to those who would sail the seas, one ship stands out amongst the others. This ship, newly christened the Langalore, sails a crew amassed by a young man for the purpose of finding their place together. Captain Victor Reed knows that the worst and hardest of his journey is behind him, and that the coming horizon holds a new path to forge atop the foundations of his time in Freeport. He looks back one last time over the city to take in the view of the distancing land, and a hopeful smile passes over his face as the land grows smaller. This journey ends as all journeys do, with the promise of a new story on the back of a finished tale, from a series of fortuitous outcomes and choices that leads to other tales for other times. For as one group of heroes' journey ends one threat, another calls to roll the dice of fate once again. A bright sun shines over the city of Freeport, bringing with it a new day and a new adventure.
Thank you for listening to the Game Night Heroes. This was Freeport, Episode 32, Port of Departure. This concludes the Freeport City of Adventure campaign trilogy. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps new listeners find us and take the journey along with you and with us. We can be found on all social media at Game Night Heroes. Please be sure to follow us for updates and for new information. We can also be found at GameNightHeroes.com. The Game Night Heroes is hosted and game mastered by Kevin Stacy. Victor Reed was played by Rob Alexander. Iridanza Orame was played by Colleen Alexander. Arden Langalar was played by Aaron Regner. Nisha Lakawania was played by Brittany Stone. The Freeport Trilogy was created and published by Chris Premus and Green Ronin Publishing. Special game mechanics designed by Quinn the GM. Please visit his work at DM's Guild. Logo design and podcast cover art for the Game Night Heroes was created by Josh K. Music is from various artists and appears from Pixabay. Please feel free to message us at Game Night Heroes Contact at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you. The Game Night Heroes are proud partners of Green Ronin Publishing. You can find them online at greenronin.com. This has been a presentation of the Game Night Heroes. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dream. Hey, did you like what you just heard? Well, if so, you can also journey into the realm of Freeport by visiting GreenRoninStore.com. There, you can find all of your Freeport needs and all of the different adventures, supplements, and rule sets that you'll need to vanquish the forces of the Far Realm in a pirate town once gone legit. Form your own adventures at GreenRoninStore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to save on your purchase. Thanks for listening.